Our scripture today comes from the book of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. And as they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks in the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the, com the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now hear this poem by Mary Oliver, entitled, The Poet Thinks About the Donkey. On the outskirts of Jerusalem, the donkey waited, not especially brave or filled with understanding. He stood and waited. How horses turned out into the meadow leap with delight. How doves released from their cages clatter away, splashed with sunlight. But the donkey, tied to a tree as usual, waited. Then he himself be led away. Then he let the stranger mount. Never had he seen such crowds, and I wonder if he at all imagined what was to happen. Still, he was what he had always been, small, dark, obedient. I hope. Finally, he felt brave. I hope, finally, he loved the man who rode so lightly upon him as he lifted one dusty hoof and stepped, as he had to, forward. Will you pray with me? Holy God, send your spirit upon us, that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what it is you have to say to us this day. Amen. Years ago, when I was on staff at Loveland First United Methodist Church, our beloved youth director had a vision, and that vision was this. For the Palm Parade on Palm Sunday, there would be a real live 
donkey in the sanctuary. Now, it happened, and then it happened for many, many years after. They might be having a donkey in that sanctuary this very day. I'm not sure. But I was there for the inaugural Palm Sunday Parade. Because it was the first one, not all the kinks had been worked out yet. Like the idea that a donkey might need some sort of receptacle to catch any droppings. And so, the donkey did what donkeys do, right in the middle of the main aisle. And of course, the jubilant children following behind walked right through it. It was a Palm Sunday to be remembered for sure, especially for the ushers who spent most of the service on their hands and knees scrubbing the carpet. Nevertheless, I was so tempted to want a donkey today. The last two years have been so sad not to have in-person worship on Palm Sunday or Easter. Even though many of you participated in our virtual Palm Parades, just not the same as seeing the kids and even those who are kids at heart waving the branches, walking around in a big chaotic mess. We need this parade today to remind ourselves that no matter how much has life has changed during the pandemic, it doesn't define us, this pandemic thing. And we are here, and we claim our lives and faith with renewed passion. Which makes me understand that very, very first Palm Parade a little bit better. Let's remember that Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day in the middle of the Passover observance and celebration, which was the height of the pilgrimage season for all of the Jewish people. Now, many of these people did not live in Jerusalem. They lived all over, scattered about Galilee, in the hillside, in tiny little villages, or maybe even further. And so they had traveled long, long distances to come to Jerusalem. It would have been a party, a reunion, a time of joy and festivity, a reverent carnival of worship, sharing meals, participating in temple rituals, connecting with family and friends. Also to understand Jesus' ride into Jerusalem, we should probably understand that according to historical Jesus scholar John Dominic Crossan, that Alexander the Great had conquered Tyre and Giza after terrible sieges. And upon approaching Jerusalem just three centuries earlier, the city had opened its gates without a fight. Imagine, says Crossan, the victorious Alexander entering Jerusalem on his famous war horse, the Black Stallion. Bucephalus. 
Now, in Jesus' time, this would have been three centuries later, Crossan suggests that the custom would very likely have been for Pilate to make a show each Passover on entering Jerusalem with a war horse, chariot, weapons, full regalia, just to remind the Jews in Jerusalem and all of the pilgrims who was in charge, Rome. So Jesus is doing something very intentional here. The choosing of the animal is deliberate. One reason is because he fulfills the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he. Humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is also making a very intentional statement to the pilgrims and the Jews in Jerusalem about who's really in charge here. And it's not Rome. It's God. And God comes to turn the world on its head because instead of a powerful war horse, Jesus rides in on a donkey. And not just any donkey. In the Gospel of Mark, we hear, at least in the New Revised Standard Version, we hear colt, which scholars understand to be a donkey colt, so a very young donkey. In the Gospel of Matthew, however, we hear that Jesus wants two animals, a donkey with a little colt beside her, and that Jesus rides them in the sense of having them both as part of his demonstration's highly visible symbolism. In other words, Crossan says, Jesus does not ride a stallion or a mare or a mule or a male donkey and not even a female donkey. He rides the most unmilitary mount imaginable, a female nursing donkey with her little colt trotting right beside her. So we have these contrasts of two animals, a gleaming stallion, no doubt with all of the accessories of well-trained and well-regarded beast, armor, Bells, streamers, I don't know what they would have put on their horses, but, you know, something like that. Tall, stately, a character in and of himself is the stallion, head up, trotting to show off his muscles and hard-worn scars. And then there's the donkey. Small, maybe a baby, or maybe a mothering donkey with a baby. Gray, unadorned, simple, head down, moving forward, following the gentle nudges of the man on her back. 
one animal symbolizing power and fear, another symbolizing humility and graciousness. Jamie Lee, I was struck when you shared about the passing of your family friend. I, too, learned of the passing of someone that was important in my life or has been, though I wasn't really close with this person. He was a great professor of mine. When I was at Iliff School of Theology, my worship and ritual teacher was Thomas Troger. He was also the author of numerous books, poetry and hymns. In fact, we find some of his hymns in the Faith We Sing hymnals that we have in our pews. He had been at Iliff for a while, and he transferred from Iliff to Yale Divinity School. You know, kind of a step down. I don't know. He was well-known, much beloved. He was also a bit of an eccentric he was tall and gangly with this wild curly hair. He always wore the tweed jackets with the little elbow patches and pants that were pulled up to about here. So, real cool. He was a great preacher and orator, but also he was a flautist. You know, and he often incorporated his flute playing into his liturgy or his preaching. He would just pull out this flute and start to kind of dance around while he played. He was silly and amazing, and I loved him. Now, in seminary, I was pretty quiet. I had kids at home, so I just kind of went in, did my thing, got home. I kept to myself, and although I was his student, I do not think I was his most well-known student at all. Years after he transferred to Yale, I was at a preaching festival with a thousand other pastors from across the country, and Tom Troger just happened to be leading the very closing worship, and there was communion, and I happened to be in his line to receive communion from him. When I approached him, his face lit up, and he said, Sandy. Humility is remembering the name of a quiet student you had years prior. Humility is being willing to be yourself, even if you look silly or foolish to others. Humility is knowing your own power and importance and not using it to lord over others. Humility is choosing a donkey over a stallion to make a statement of true leadership. Humility is riding that donkey into a situation where persecution and death is a very likely outcome. Humility is loving justice and God enough to go anyway. I pray these have been the words of the Lord for us this day. Amen. I invite you to join with me in our offering prayer.
God, in response to the love you have given to us, we offer here what we have, what we do, and even more who we are for the sake of all people. Amen.